Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Ann W. Smith, co-chair with Lynn Curtis of the Club's Arts Forum, and your organizer for this program in association with the Book Club of California. We also welcome our listening audience, and we invite everyone to visit us online at commonwealthclub.org. Our speakers tonight are the renowned California activist and poet Gary Snyder and the renowned photographer Peter Goyne. What can I say about Gary Snyder? That has, well, it's all been said. Um, I was on the staff of the California Arts Council when he was the chair back in the way back in the day when, during Jerry Brown won. Um, but Gary's been this fabulous contributor of numerous books of poetry and prose um, from Counterpoint Press's most recent Danger on Peaks. There's the Gary Snyder Reader from 52 to 1998. Um, the uh, New and Selected Poems is a finalist for the National Book Award. Um, Axe Handles, for which he did receive an American Book Award. Turtle Island, which won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Um, Myths and Texts. 1960. He's received an American Academy of Arts and Letters Award, Bollingen Prize, Guggenheim Foundation Fellowship, Bess Hoken Prize, and the Levinson Prize for Poetry, the Robert Kirsch Lifetime Achievement Award from the Los Angeles Times, and it goes on, the Shelley Memorial Award. He was elected a chancellor of the Academy of American Poets in 2003 and was the recipient of the 2012 Wallace Stevens Award for Lifetime Achievement by the Academy of American Poets. And, by the way, he's a professor of English at the University of California, Davis. Retired. Retired. <laughs> ha! <laughs> we'll try to believe that. <laughs> Photographer Peter Goins' work has been shown in over 50 museums nationally and internationally, and he is the recipient of two National Endowment for the Arts Fellowships. He's published four books on Lake Tahoe and also co-authored a field guide to California architecture. He is Professor of Art in Photography at the University of Nevada. He's particularly known for his photography book, Nuclear Landscapes. They are going to be talking tonight, in reference, mostly, to their newest collaboration, Gary and Peter, are Doobie Lane, also known as Guru Road, a testament inscribed in stone tablets by Dwayne Williams. And the Doobie Lane will be available for purchase and signing right at the conclusion of tonight's program. I've asked Jack Shoemaker, publisher of Counterpoint Press, to moderate the discussion, and I'm going to turn it over to him. Thank you, Thank Jack. Thank you. So my job was to keep it all calm, I think. Um, we want to thank the Book Club of California and the Commonwealth Club for the chance to spend this evening with you. As you will see, we have lots of ground to cover, and our time is limited, so I will be brief. Gary had talked about Doobie Lane for several years. 
It was a special place for Gary and his new wife, Carol Coda, and I knew that somehow I would have to see it for myself. What might become of Gary's interest wasn't clear until Peter Gowen entered the conversation. Peter is simply a fabulous photographer, a great hunter of hidden places, and a devoted archivist of the West. When he first took his camera to Doobie Lane, the die was cast. When he shared those photos with Gary, Gary in turn shared an unusual document with Peter. You see, Gary had on return trips down Doobie Lane begun to transcribe the cryptic writings on the stone tablets he found carefully placed on the roadside on the dirt the long length of Guru Road. When he mentioned this to me as his publisher, of course I needed to make a book of this whole matter. And I needed to involve Dave Bullen, the great book designer in our project. And I had to hurry because Dave was doing the impossible. He was going to retire. What you see this evening is the long project of that collaboration. I want to ask Gary first and then Peter to describe how they first found Doobie Lane and what about this eccentric art installation first attracted them and caused them to return several times. When Peter speaks, he will explain what you all are looking at as we're going along. It's a wonderful show. But Gary, tell me about when you first went to Doobie Lane. I don't generally mention the name Allen Ginsberg. Uh, <laughs> But it happened that Alan and I, uh, in, in, in a borrowed old VW bug, uh, were exploring the east side of the, of the Cascades and the Sierra one summer and uh, following unmarked roads for the most part uh, and taking, being youthful, not knowing how much of a risk it was. So uh, coming down uh, uh, out of Oregon, uh, 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 went down along the edge of um, uh, several playas. Uh, a playa is a ice age leftover lake, all dried up, with a white flat bottom, like uh, what you know of as uh, the Great La- the uh, uh, the basins in uh, Utah. Uh, and so we were exploring some playas and a, a lot of a desert terrain, which I was learning for the first time, really, and was weaning myself from my attraction and, and, and uh, 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 affection for large-scale Douglas fir trees, uh, because I grew up in uh, on Puget Sound uh, in the middle of old growth, uh, or actually second growth, uh, and so for a person from the west side of Washington uh, uh, to get over to the east side of Washington or Oregon or, or into Nevada is a shock. It's just a plain shock. There's no vegetation uh, until you learn how to look at it and look how to see it. So that was part of my own exercise was discovering and learning to love, as I have indeed done, the whole desert, the whole arid zone of Western America. Uh, so driving along through all of that, uh, we came down to the great, the, the mother of all playas, which is the Black Rock Desert, except we didn't know it. We didn't know where we were or what it was, uh, but uh, I kind of figured it out a little bit and uh, was taken away by the scale of it all. The Black Rock Desert is, as you all know now, 
where the Burning Man party takes place in early September every year. But this was many years before that. Uh, and then, uh, scouting around, uh, around other things, I came on a little sign that said Doobie Lane. And it was a little dirt track road that ran parallel uh, to the old uh, 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 Nevada Highway 34 that had been uh, uh, taken down and wasn't being treated like a real highway anymore. That's the way you go to the Burning Man is on Highway 34. Uh, so I came on this uh, this string of inscribed stones spread out over three miles of uh, uh, bumpy and uh, really never never uh, uh, in any way ch- ch- scraped by a big piece of equipment, just what you wear in with your four-wheel drive when you go off the, off the regular road. And that was uh, Wayne D. Williams' uh, marvelous text, prayer, sutra, uh, life history, social history, which you're going to hear little bits of as we go. Uh, and uh, as soon as I, as soon as I saw it, I knew this was something special, different, and unlike anything else. Uh, and I'm finally beginning to understand, uh, and I'll talk about that toward the end of my own presentation, what it really might be said to add up to. I actually come out of uh, San Francisco. I used to run bookstores here in San Francisco years ago. And uh, when I was hired at the University of Nevada in 1984, as I was getting ready to go, I had friends who said, Nevada. Actually, they said Nevada. But it's Nevada, in case you want to know. said, (laughs) Nevada. There's nothing there. It's a wasteland. Well, that was a little disheartening. I'm moving there. And when I went there, I was reading about Southern Nevada, and that's where I came across this quote from Governor Russell, who said in 1952, Nevada's a wasteland, but now it's blooming with atoms. And he was talking about the Nevada test site. And I thought, well, this is a different interpretation (laughs) of the 40-mile desert. But there's something quite intriguing about this. And in conversations, actually, with Gary at his home, I once asked him, how many world religions originate in aridity? Yeah. In aridity, mm, in the aridity. desert. And it was a, a very interesting and prolonged conversation about the nature of arid spaces. So when I first arrived in Nevada in 1984, I drove out to the Black Rock Desert. And it's listed as among the 40th, among 40 greatest deserts on the planet, but nobody's ever heard of it. I mean, I understand Bernie Man's changed that narrative. But at that time, here we have 400 square miles of flatness. Land speed record was held there, and you go there, and it's where water doesn't exist, but light becomes water. Light has tides. Light begins to have its own sentiment and feeling, almost as if it's alive. And this place amazed me. But as I'm driving there, as Gary already noted, you drive by, and there's this sign that says, Guru Road. So I took the road because you're supposed to when you come across a road like that, as you know. Only a few people know oh, that. Oh, but but uh, the vast majority of people going to Burning Man have never gone there. Well, anyway, I go there and I go to the mailbox. And by the way, what you're seeing is the 108 images 
of this lane with these inscribed tablets that Dwayne Williams and his friend Ray created and his son D. Well, I went there and they have a mailbox and you'll see it come up uh, in one of the slides. And just as it turned out, Dwayne Williams was by the mailbox and I pulled alongside and I walked up. I didn't know who he was at the time. And I said, so what is the story with this place? And he said, do you have an hour? I'm the guru of Doobie Lane. And I said, I thought it was Guru Lane. And he said, let me bring out my cigar. He brought out the largest joint I believe has ever been made. I think he wrapped it in notebook paper. I'm not sure. And I thought it was the worst stuff, but you could have gotten high just being near him. And he told stories I never imagined that I'd be here talking to you about him today. So I'm very proud to be part of this, to represent his family, to share this poetic resonance that Dwayne Williams, an outsider artist who's barely been recognized, contributed to our understanding of how poetry can survive in the landscape. <laughs> That's wonderful. Gary, you and Carol went there at one stage. I'm trying to remember whether you, you met Dwayne at that stage. Uh I don't know a, which of those different what what that original trip turned into many trips uh, out both for the Black Rock Desert uh, and also where we camped uh, and also to look at Doobie Lane more and uh, I call it Doobie Lane some people call it Guru Road it has a sign right down near the ground about eight inches off the ground that says Doobie Lane. And it has a sign up high where people can see it that says Guru Road. They're both true. Uh, and Dwayne said, uh, as you'll hear in a second, Dwayne was uh, suffering from cancer. That's, yeah. Uh, and he knew that uh, he wasn't going to live a whole lot longer, but he wasn't sure. And he said, the doobie helps. Uh, which is what he was trying to That's give you. Trying to, yeah. <laughs> And I thought he was waiting at the mailbox for some medication. <laughs> no, but he did get notes there. And the mailbox was for people to leave notes for him. So I left, initially I left a note. And uh, uh, I got an answer in the same mailbox about four years later. <laughs> <laughs> and, and before you read, I must say that what we've done is we've collected all those journals uh, because Dwayne Williams is no longer with us. And we collected all those journals and photographs and artifacts, and they're now in an archive at the University of Nevada in Reno, so people can go. And included is Gary's note in that archive. Well, at that point, I didn't know, I didn't know Peter Gowen even at this time, uh, but I saw it right away as some kind of a strange poem and also a narrative that should be kept. Uh, so uh, what my wife Carol and I did spontaneously uh, on that afternoon in October uh, was I uh, got a little handheld tape recorder and walked along reading uh, the texts and Carol drove along very slowly to keep up with me and at the end of three miles I had everything that was there in the year 1988. Uh, but it keeps changing <laughs> and I had to adapt to that later because I would go back different trips and they would be some things missing and some new things there. Uh, but so let me read this uh, selectively uh, to you now, and then we'll go on from there. Uh, Doobie Lane, just north of the little town of Gerlach. 
Nevada. A testament inscribed in stone tablets. Gerlach, a town of 150, a hundred miles from Reno, quote, where the pavement ends and the west begins. At the edge of the Black Rock Desert to the east and the High Rock Canyon country to the north. Continuing out of Gerlach, past Bruno's Gas, Bruno's Motel, Bruno's Bar, and Bruno's Cafe, taking the fork toward Via after a mile or two. An improbable green official-looking metal sign, Guru Road, that you might easily miss, and a wooden sign low to the ground that says Doobie Lane, up through the sagebrush and uh, onto a worn-in track. Soon, a bulldozed out-leveled area to the left where several cars could park, a smooth gray rock standing vertical on the top of the bank above, and in clean, legible letters carved into it, says, a good place to make love. Just a bit above the road, a series of inscribed rocks standing with their flat faces Toward the, dirt, toward the dirt road, clear, sans-serif, Romans scratched through desert warmth, a special gray rock, special people, VIP Bob Gooch, smaller rocks in a row. Maybe we all should look so good with an arrow as Marianne Gooch. Carol Minto, Gary and Trudy Minto. Continuing, Doug and Robin Watt on a rock. Tom Cat and Diana Rios. Pot of Gold, R.D. Jones, Tim and Vicki Williams, Mitch and Connie Ugalde. I am the greatest, ask Grandma, Michael Ugalde. Neat folks? Jean and Anita Reap. David, toot on the road again. People who are famous. Amy Lou Weldon. Miss Personality. Tori Conley. Stars on the Horizon. Becky Green. Vanessa Dynam. We are the future. Susan Rios. Cecil Courtney. Ashley Mott. People who care. Mary Min. Dan Divini. No words, just action. Brian Covey. The word is impulse. All with lists of names uh, after each name or pair of names on a separate standing stone, 50 feet farther on, and another group. People who love and let live. Al, Linda, and Jean, and Jim Bogle. Keeping the West alive, Jackie Sid and Kelly Lyles. Eight feet more space. And then Fred Chi has the beef. And I have Fred. Joe Cheese. A rock standing by itself, a nice tall one, saying, Nothing so small that you can't cut it in half. Nothing so large that you can't double it. One in a million, Fred Schoenfield. Best in the West, Beth Williams. 
Gourmet Cook, Leonard Williams. Desert Diamonds, Joanne and Vanessa Dunnigan. By Itself, Never Too Busy to Talk to a Friend, Joe Selmy. A Ray of Sunshine, Sharon Duran. My Fans, Al and Lucille Evans, Philly Williams. Back aways from the road stood a twisty juniper trunk with a rock hanging from a string from a limb with a stone inscription below it saying, If the rock above is moving, the wind is blowing. Wet, it's raining. Why? White, it is snowing. Gerlach Weather Station. And a big natural rock just says, Dwayne. Jeff and Rika, very sincere. Mink, gold, diamonds. Artie Johns. Next to God is woman. I know I, I, know I have this one right. Don't you forget it, the last rock says. Ask Nancy. It's a hazard to be born. The rebel. Dave Clapper, I will always return, Lloyd Custer Manley, one big tomahawk, a sort of tomahawk-looking rock. What goes around comes around. China will rise again. Who keeps Gerlach smart? Dave Green, that is who. Knowledge is the key to power. Go for it. This structure for rent or lease, call 557-2296. Come to the Wigwam in Fernley, Nevada, Marion Moe. A word from space, never say die. Don't panic. The more you see, the better you like it, Terry Weldon. A big rock with an upside-down wash basin on the top of it. People you should meet, Bev and Arlie Osborne. Shelley McKnight, Smiley, Mr. Music. I call the shots, Sonny Shots. 1985, Linda Campbell, rest your dog here, next to a post stuck in the ground. Filmed in Gerlach, Far From Home, starring Drew Barrymore. Was that true? It's a movie that she starred in, yeah. She, and there were scenes out there. Some of it was filmed there? It was filmed there, mm-hmm. Did anybody ever know it? Yes, actually, and Dwayne Williams had a small part in that movie. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What was the name of it? Far From Home. Far From Home. Got to look that up. <laughs> a pair of rocks. I love my critics, S. Tyler. Carson City Susie says, Doobie, the guru of Gerlach. Don't worry, be happy. You must force yourself. Start today. A rich man has the same chance of entering heaven as a camel going through the eye of a needle. Check this out. As I understand it, God loves us all. Not because of what we are. Do you believe that the blind are leading the blind? Here are two forks set in the ground, painted around the crotches so they look like two boys wearing colored shorts. Maybe one is supposed to be a girl. The crotch looks rather cunt-like. No tools, no discrimination, no sex, it says. They both have little belly buttons stuck on. 
Some whiskey and beer bottles lined up on the ground. Underneath it, it is carved, The Lost. Never forget your very important names I can't read. I really couldn't read them. Visit, uh, I would rather be in Gerlach, Frank Davis, a very good citizen, Skipper Douglas. Workaholic, Bill Green, very lovely lady, Mudge Green. I have a secret to stay young, Lena Lucchesi, plus health and wealthiness. Sweetheart of the Gerlach Empire, Jane Anderson. Very pretty things to see in Gerlach, Crystal Carter. And so this moves on through all these different people that he uh, spontaneously recalls stories and names about. Many of these people, of course, are gone. Some are still here, and they're many decades, several decades older now, because this was 19, uh, in the 1980s. I'm still distracted. What part did he have in this movie? In the Drew Barrymore movie? Yeah. Was, uh, what he, did he play? He was an extra. I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? And I must say that when he told me this, I actually know this. He said this to me, and he said that with pride. I was an extra. <laughs> All poets are extra. He People said. are born to be extra, aren't they? Uh, born to be extra. <laughs> so just to explain a little bit uh, about this. So he spent time first chiseling out these things. And you can see that when you look at the architecture of the construction of the stones. But that was too hard in his arms and his back. And someone gave him a, a machine-powered Dremel tool. And this was the secret. And so then he chronicled the town. He essentially heard statements or, or sayings or people said things at the bar and, you know, there's no holds back. And he would just record it. He'd express his opinions. And he was really one of the truest and most earthiest poets you'll come across. Although he wouldn't really describe him that way. He would describe himself as the guru of the landscape. And there's a form of poetry in that. So that's what really you're seeing is all of these things. And then... Unfortunately, after he died, the site uh, went into disrepair. Microbursts would ruin and change the landscape. People would go in and do what people do and move stuff. It wasn't maintained in the same way. But now the Friends of the Black Rock, High Rock, a nonprofit organization based in Gerlach, they are trying to uh, preserve this based on this book and the photographs that me and my students, a lot of this is student work, the black and whites. And then they would try to preserve this landscape so that it can be visited again. This is uh, very much in the outsider art realm that you might imagine, mostly known by Eastern artists. But here we have someone in the West. Of course, we have certain places. Uh, uh, we have um, places in Nevada, of course, where this happens. But this experience is really his expression and didn't really care what anybody thought. And there's something quite beautiful in that. And that's what he did. He chronicled that town. And so what we did is we researched all of those names, and that's what the book contains. So it really is a narrative through stone poetry of this town. About how many stones are there? Do you were... Just a little under 500. So that's an amazing number. And you think that this, this really connects petroglyphs with Burma's shave signs, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> it really is. And, and the whole, all of the traditions of India and China uh, of uh, inscribed uh, uh, sacred language mm -hmm. and uh, little bits of stories. I was uh, told once that uh, we don't, uh, that uh, Aboriginal tribes are Paiutes and Shoshone and, mm -hmm. and uh, Washoe are no longer doing uh, pictographs and petroglyphs, but I know this uh, for a fact to be incorrect. 
that they are still happening. We are still living in that era. It's just we don't understand the time frame of these, mm. but they are still making these. And I know some Paiutes really think Dwayne Williams is one of their cousins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure they do. That's very nice. Yeah. He's uh, the guru. He's the guru. Life is nothing but a big joke. Kick back and watch the show. Guru. That's him speaking right there. Opinions are lies. Everyone has one, and they all stink. (laughs) And then there's a few hundred yards of nothing along the road, and then another of these improbable cairns. Uh, And and that is a rock balanced on another rock with the the sign called the Lost Buffalo. Recorded with Carol on uh, 21 October 1988. Later that day, we went into Bruno's Cafe and asked the young waitress, what about Doobie Lane? Never heard of it, she said. (laughs) Older waitress came by, said, yeah, Dwayne Williams, Robin Watts' father. So, and I finished this little section here, uh, saying, we found the dirt track known as Guru Avenue or Doobie Lane by chance. I walked through the unfolding tale of a community and the wise and funny tablets of philosophy and advice with amazement and delight. I was moved to record it on the spot and later met Dwayne Williams, uh, the maker, on that very road doing another installation. It was my luck to be get, to get to be his scribe. And just so you all understand, so uh, in working on the research of this project, uh, we had the consent of his family, and they helped provide a lot of the information. Of course, I don't know all the details. And if you can just imagine this, you go to someone who doesn't really know you, and you say, so tell me, why did you get divorced? Or why, why do you have a different name? And you realize that you're really kind of getting into their life with this, so that it really opened those doors, and that they would share, I just want to... Uh, let you know that their generosity is really why we're here, that they would share who all these individuals were when you have all of these complex relationships and they're woven together in this narrative of the great American outback, which is Gerlach. And it was really important to me as the editor to be sure that you all could see these stones in place. You could see them in the context, what it's like to actually see them strung out on some of these. Well, that one's not what I'm talking about, but some of them are where you can actually see the stones on the roadside, mm-hmm. really see the way he put them down or have they've, somebody put them down. Well, he put, he put almost all of them down and people respect it. There are some other groups that want to go in and change it and adapt their own. Uh, I do have a friend who, unfortunately, when her uh, spouse uh, died, uh, his friends took his ashes and buried them there and you know, there's people who do things like that. I don't think he would have really liked that. He wanted to keep it, you know, as pure as possible. I don't know what pure really ever is. I don't think Dwayne would have minded in, in the least. Uh, he was very open and very, very uh, welcoming. Uh, and he would always offer you a big cigar yeah. doobie. Um, I did have people ask me what a doobie was. I go, they don't know. That's, I'm not telling them. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about this is it's a very unique site. And one of the things that Gary said, and I'll, and I'll see if, if you remember this, and it's actually part of the book, is that he felt that this really has some 
almost religious tones to it at some point. Do you remember talking about uh, that? Yeah, I do. And um, uh, there were some, uh, some of the things on the rocks which I couldn't find right now. Uh, I didn't, they didn't come up for me. Uh, were, uh, you know, one of his things was, uh, one of the things that he carved on rocks was, the God who made the universe would never have put evil in it. And that is the one that gave me the most trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I don't think we should define evil and uh, good as opposites. He had uh, one thing I want to just share real quickly. This is very, very short. And this is, uh, in, du- this is in Dwayne's words. And I can't imitate his voice, but you'll see. I'll try a little bit. Well, this is my commandment. If we could stomp out grief... Wipe out envy and never assume. Never. You just think of the times you've assumed and how many times you've been wrong. Believe only what you can be pro- what only can be proved. Keep smiling. Think health. Drink milk. Sex a lot. Exercise your heart. <laughs> it's like the beatitude. Mm-hmm. It's an attitude. He was free. And he uh, once said to me, do you think Peter, he actually didn't call me Peter. It's a longer story. If you go up to Gerlach and you go there, they had a, just quickly, they had a uh, one gas station and the guy who worked there never would talk to anybody. His name was Bill. But anyway, I was up there so much that he once asked me what I did. And I was shocked that he was speaking to me because literally he would never speak. And I said, well, I'm a professor at the university. He said, so you are no longer Peter. You are now teach. So he called me teach all the time. (laughs) And somehow I got to Dwayne and I go out there and I say, so Dwayne, what's, what's, what's going on, Dwayne? And he said, teach, I'm free. Are you? (laughs) I like that one. Yeah. (laughs) Carol, and this is a little afterward I did, uh, Carol and many neighbors and friends uh, and I made trips to the Black Rock Playa over subsequent years. And I always stopped and re-walked Guru Lane. I met Duane right while he was working on a new installation. There were many. He knew I was a poet and a desert rat, and the two of us related as artists, with a certain distance and reserve, as artists often do. In our frayed and dusty jeans, squinting in the sun, he told me of his cancer, and a mysterious fungus that was coming from China to help him. Yet, later, a few independent and sometimes clumsy uh, installations that didn't last long were inserted by outsiders. Dwayne himself put in a weather station and a stone chapel circle for couples getting married as as our society slowly slid Outward, downward, he noted it with more dry, funny comments. A couple of locals put themselves to looking after Guru Road, keeping it trash-free and remaining Dwayne's own project. Then the remarkable unfolding of the annual Burning Man gathering began. Guru Road, close as it was to the entrance area to the Burning Man, seemed almost invisible and was usually overlooked by the streams of cars that turned off the little highway and onto the trackless playa 
heading for a great emptiness over there. I spent many nights and days out in the Black Rock, including times when the Burning Man celebration was going full swing. Just drive ten miles more up the hard-pan, flat, white playa, and it all fades away. Uh, it cannot be... Uh, if. Uh, it cannot be seen or heard at all. And or, if it will make you feel better, go 20 miles. Uh, there's another 30 or 40 you could go if you want. <laughs> My friend, the Japanese poet uh, Shige, stood there one night with me, looking at the stars in the sky, with tears in his eyes, saying, I never knew there were so many. <laughs> That's a, a, a common Japanese response to a desert sky. When I let my new dog out, uh, out of the car at daylight, she looked totally baffled by being surrounded by no phenomena at all. <laughs> it was Dwayne's gift to make his circle of friends and family in Gerlach become the stars in the sky and put us all into the same universe, using just the roadside rocks and never a mean word. Wasn't it in Black Rock that Wendell Berry said to you, uh, wouldn't do a lot of farming around here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have time for some questions, do we? I'm, I'm trying to get the signal here. Um, oh, there's a clock. Okay, yeah. very good. Do you want to, did you want to finish up or should we have some questions? Oh, let's have questions. Okay. Okay. I, good time for questions. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now, back to our program. That's true, and that's typical, I think, of outsider art. We're just going to repeat by saying uh, that the question was, is there a comparison between Dwayne Williams' work and the Watts Towers in Los Angeles? Yeah, I, there's a, there's, it, it really resonates, I think. What do you think? When you, when you uh, look at how in, in the world of the fine arts we talk about out, outsider artists, which is an imperfect phrase, we think about not the uneducated, but the, those who feel a compelling need to produce creatively. It is, after all, what we all do. I just need to explain this for a minute, and it goes directly to your question. When we're children, we are all artists. We are trained to not be artists. <coughs> we do that in our educational system. We remove that sense. We mistrust creative tendencies. We channel it. We require it to be functional within parameters. But after a while, people tend, particularly if you're producing piecework, and this is very common throughout outsider art uh, characteristics, they lose their ability to generate worth by how they're creating things. So they start making these artistic objects, a lot of times connected to religion. Mm. Uh, Howard Finster, for example, in the East, uh, you look at a lot of the East Coast artists by making those kinds of works. There's definitely a connection. In Nevada, we have uh, this saying, nobody writes about Nevada. 
it's because it's arid. And, and I, I think that Dwayne Williams is really not included in, in, in that matrix of outsider uh, artists such as Ed Watts Tower and many others because it is really isolated in, in the American outback the way it is. But there's definitely a, an affinity. They are, I think, uh, cousins in this uh, quest for some kind of meaning through constructing these lasting remnants. It's his effort to achieve immortality. And he does it through his poetry. What a great, noble calling, regardless of what the art world might say. I appreciate your question. If you go to the great Outsider Art Museum in Baltimore, Maryland, it's a fabulous place. They publish a magazine that's called Outsider, and it's all about outsider art. The common denominator is isolation. These artists are often incarcerated, or they're in mental institutions, or they're isolated from the world by their surrounding, by what they've built around themselves, like Howard and some of these other people. And um, so it's, it's an, some sort of original impulse to respond to being isolated or respond to being incarcerated or respond to seeing visions to make art. And it's something I think everybody does in one way or another. You, it, It's just a great definition, though, that, that they make at this museum as they collect people who have created things out of their institutionalization or their isolation. And it started young with Dwayne Williams because he uh, won a contest for uh, the best beard at a beard growing contest. Who has contests like that and who wins them? People like Dwayne Williams. (laughs) (laughs) And Dwayne had no higher education, but he was a Marine in World War II. I, I can answer that on the day that I ask him a similar question. I don't know the answer would have been the same two weeks later, to be honest, and the way Dwayne was. But the day I asked him that, he said, you know, I try to be Zen about such things. I love the reference. And, and I said, so what if people come in and want to do stuff? He said, people ask me all the time. I say, do whatever you want to do. Just don't harm what's already here. Isn't that the creed that we should all live by? I thought it was really quite brilliant. But that's how he would respond it, to it. He, what he didn't like was when people went there and took uh, their shotguns and blew the stone that said Hillary Clinton. That's one that he got, he felt was uh, disrespectful. Disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the Hollywood Walk of Fame and Trump. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. We'd like to remind our listening audience that this is a program with the Commonwealth Club of California, and you are listening to a conversation with Gary Snyder, Peter Goyne, and Jack Shoemaker. It's a dangerous word, matured. Um, <laughs> I looked at Gary. The question was how, how the book evolved, and I can begin to answer by saying that initially th- these photographs were mounted in an accordion fold, about 20 of them? 50. Totally. 50 of them in an accordion fold when Gary wrote a little text for it. And it was a, a, a limited edition artist book. With only 10 photographs in it. Ten, the black and whites you see were in that book. Yep. And then uh, years later, we got to get, when there became a kind of amount of material that we could actually work with, then we started, then Gary's notebook drove the whole project, which he doesn't call poems. You'll notice he calls them field notes. So when he brought the field notes to us, then we started to see a narrative toward a book. And Peter had this marvelous work. I mean, it's just the difficulty was getting it down into a a manageable size. 
and trying to be a presentation, we couldn't do the accordion fold. That's impractical. But we did this oblong that gives you a sense of the road, a sense of, of the trail. And that, gave, that really opened the project up quite a bit. And we worked with great designer, and Peter knows how to do this stuff. So just a little bit more about that is, um, of course, the genesis comes from Gary's experience and Gary working with the Black Rock Press, a letterpress at the University of Nevada. And uh, we thought it'd be a great idea. Gary thought it'd be a great idea. It was your idea, actually, to uh, represent this in some kind of published form at a letterpress book, given its importance. So I took a class out to uh, Doobie Lane. It was uh, the only time in my career I've ever had a class of all women, and there were uh, 10 women and me working in the field for seven days. Uh, that's another story. But <laughs> the same. Uh, but we went out and photographed during the day, and, and these are the black and white photographs uh, that you're seeing from that, that group. And then we came back in, and then they learned how to create a letterpress accordion fold book. We made 50 copies. They're very expensive. They were sold for $350, and they were sold out in, I think, 10 days. And what happened was that nobody got to see them. I mean, maybe you see them in an archive at Stanford or someone else, but, but I was supposed to get five copies, and I ended up only getting one because nobody realized that, it, that how important you were, I guess. Everybody bought them so fast that we never, nobody got to see them. And so Gary really said on one of our meetings that we, we, we need to do this in a trade form and uh, mentioned Jack and Counterpoint Press, and so the rest is kind of history, I think. And thank you for asking that. And I want to say again, I added absolutely nothing to it, and I took away nothing from it. And uh, I completely set aside my own individual poetic imagination, and I said, this is Dwayne's show, not mine. I can't add anything, and I never did, and that's the way it is. Although you do have your name on one of the rocks. Well, he put it there. He put it there, yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> We better Questions? check the calligraphy, maybe. <laughs> in a way, yeah. What's the place of the audience in an outsider art's mind and work? Right. Believe it or not, what happens is that the production is where value is. So it almost doesn't matter. I know with Dwayne, it didn't matter. When I've studied some of the outsider arts on the East Coast, you discover that... The, They'll tolerate an, audi an audience. When the, the market, the fine art market started approaching some outside artists, it was very confusing and irritating, uh, intriguing. But negotiating an audience wasn't really how they were thinking about it. It's, and I don't know if any of you feel this, but you know, maybe you've had a bad day and it feels good to clean the kitchen or do the laundry or garden. Gardening is one for me, you know, uh, in times of trouble, uh, I'll garden. Uh, if you have that sentiment, that's really what's been nurtured. And that's where the value is for the artist. And I find that to be mostly um, universally common, if I can mix the words. So I think that's a very important aspect of it. I don't know that, you know, Dwayne was humored by people who would come by, but it really wasn't about the audience. He wasn't about the audience. And he seemed to take no particular interest in people's opinions of his work. Yeah, no, he didn't really care. He didn't care. He found yeah. it amusing. Yeah. But if somebody was, you know, sort of saying, I want to see this, they would probably be in Bruno's bar. Yeah. And um, Bruno or somebody there in the bar would say, well, go on, look at him. 
No, he was just considered an eccentric. You know, I mean, don't we have eccentric cousins and neighbors? Or, you know, he was considered an eccentric. And there's, but then, then people started calling him, you know, Socrates in stone. And so they said, well, can I, how do I get, how do I get my name in the stone? You know, how does that happen? And then people go up to him and start saying things until something would connect. That part's pretty hilarious, you know. <laughs> One of our favorite other writers is here, Malcolm Margolin, and he has a question. Thank you. So, I, I, in looking at this, it, I, I don't feel it's, I, I don't feel it's trying to sell me something. You, you usually, when you read writers, they're trying to sell you something. But here, I don't feel any. I, I feel it's wisps of thought. It's wisps of thought. It's breaths around nothing. There's something about this that is endlessly mysterious, and I think. It, 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 so, oh, I'll get it out. Does that explain its hold on you? The fact that it's not the use of words to conquer the world. It's words that just kind of wrap around it and drift and float. Well, these are words that conquer my world. Uh, and not everybody is going to get it, uh, but that's the way it is with uh, uh, ancient uh, petroglyphs too. Uh, you've got to just be open to what you see in front of you and what you hear. Uh, m my final thought about this, and actually it goes to the point of your question, all these names in particular begin to baffle me. And... Uh, uh, I was out, out actually on the, at the Black Rock late at night after having spent a day at uh, uh, Guru Lane, Doobie Road, uh, and thinking about all the names of people who I don't know, names I'd never heard before, names I would never know again, be, again mixed in with comments and mixed in with some really nice little bits of advice. And I thought, you know what it was like? It was like my star chart. Uh, and I had been doing st my star studies, too. Now, if you get into looking at star charts, just naked eye star charts, not where you're getting uh, binoculars or telescopes, you'll see that there are thousands of names you don't know, that you have no idea why they're there. You don't know what they mean. They're just there. And these are the names, in my mind, of the stars of the human world that that it's like uh it's like a vast universe uh uh that has its own sparkle that we don't even get a chance to know it's true but Dwayne knew them all yeah <laughs> I, I i'd like to add one one thing i really appreciate your your question and comment do you ever you, you must know people who and maybe we all do this we we actually multiple people we we try to be different people, or we are different people to different communities. We wear different hats. We have different relationships. We're defined differently. We can be a father or a mother or a child or a cousin. We can be a boss or a worker. We can be a, 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 a complainer or, or a preacher. It doesn't matter. We have all these different places that we hold. But somewhere in our lives, and I know it's true for you, that there are people who are just genuine. Not perfect, but genuine. They just... They're just who they are, and they are honest. There's something honest about that, that generosity of spirit. 
And I think Dwayne had that. And I'm a, I was attracted to that. It, it, yes, he was opinionated, and, but he wasn't imposing. He wasn't trying to, uh, to criticize. He was living his life and trying to find his own path through his illness, through his isolation, through his inability to comprehend the complexity of the modern world. And he was just living his life and uh, sharing. And by, pro- by the process, he was recording this town for eternity. And I think that noble calling was really, in a way, uh, so similar to uh, Gary's constellation of individuals. And I find that interesting, fascinating. And it's not about the art world. It's not about fame. It's not about fortune. It's just about being. And I love that about it. (laughs) I thought of it also as a three-mile-long Buddhist temple. Uh, with uh, all the different uh, inscriptions that are in the temple, uh, uh, who nobody will ever know. <laughs> but they're there, and uh, if this was um, an in- if this installation was in Asia, eventually it would have little incense bowls and mm-hmm. teacups, and that's what I was talking about. And people yeah. selling uh, 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 treats. Uh, to the tourists, and the tourists would come by, and they would bow and murmur things in various languages, and go on. And you could have little artifacts, <laughs> little <laughs> stone artifacts. Right. There was a, I don't know if you got your question over here. Did you get did someone? As, as a poet and as a photographer, um, you live in traditions, right, and in and, and, and other worlds. And so the mediation between, uh, the real question was almost phenomenological, is when you encounter uh, somebody like Dwayne and, and outsider art, um, how you how you handle that, how you deal with it. You know, it's the act of interpretation, and I think Gary was starting to talk about almost letting go and bracketing at, at an extreme. But I was kind of interested in that process um, because it seems to be very different than when you encounter something within that you can contextualize, and yet outsider art is almost defined by the radical lack of context. So if you have anything further to say along those lines. I do, actually. I, uh, uh, d- after working on this project and starting on it, I really more just living with it because, remember, the accordion book came first, and that was, it, we finished that book in 1996. So there's a time period in there. I started uh, exploring the petroglyph sites throughout the state of Nevada. There's some 22,000 mm. because I really found this concept of looking at leaving a mark, looking at legacies, and looking at the artisan. You know, we, we, we look at petroglyphs and, pit- and, and pictographs, and, and we say, well, we, they're shaman, they're this, they're that, but we don't realize at the core they're about an, a human expression of time and energy and commitment and design, meaning through process. And I found that so empathetic with what, what uh, Dwayne Williams was about. There's just something in us, in our human spirit, that makes us want to leave a mark. And I'm talking about a mark that other people can recognize and share and find humanity in. And I find that connection to really speak to this concept. I think that's... I do too. There's a, Stone has a real important place in this whole matter, too. And in the late 60s... Uh, Four or five of us made some porcelain plaques of riprap and coal mountain poems. 
And then when we finished firing them in Santa Barbara, we put them in packs and walked them into the Sierras. And we just scattered them, <laughs> scattered them all over. And it was in a, uh, one, one set is in underneath Gary's house. It's in the foundation of his house. But the rest are scattered throughout. But when we finished with the stones, Gary had written a poem called The Bath. And we printed that on towels, these dispenser towels. And we printed about 5,000 of them. We put them in the towel dispensers of the men and women's bathrooms all over UCSB. (laughs) So people would take, wipe their hands with the bath. And to this day, I've never seen another one. I'm dying to know if somebody actually still has one. We have time for one more question. Public land? Is that private land? It's a BLM land, and they have a permit until 1922 or 23, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, that's I mean, 2022, 23, excuse me. Okay. And, the, and, the, but, and is, it's possible that that will be renewed or? It's possible. I think the Friends of the, of the Black Rock will uh, ask for permission from the BLM to continue that permit. Okay. Thank you. Or the I, w- I would think they would possibly resolve the whole question. By declaring it a religious site. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that would be another way. On that note, we'd like to thank our speakers so very much for your wonderful words of wisdom and ideas tonight. Gary Snyder, Peter Goyne, and thank you, Jack, for sort of moderating the process. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you all. And now, this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, commemorating its 116th year of enlightened discussion, is adjourned. <laughs>